I'm George Marshall, and you're listening to Contempora, the contemporary classical music podcast. This time we're featuring composer Larry Allen Smith. We're listening to selections from his recently composed song cycle, A Slash of Blue, A Sweep of Gray. Larry Allen Smith is an award-winning and prolific composer. He has served on the faculty at Juilliard, Boston Conservatory, and the Hart School. Additionally, he is a conductor, and he often plays piano for performances of his own works. Dr. Smith has been Dean of the Hart School and the North Carolina School of the Arts School of Music, and been President of the School of American Ballet. He directs a music festival in Italy, as well as one in Virginia. And now, he's joining us via Skype. Hello there. Hey, how are you? Okay, how are you doing? I'm good. Uh, so first, what can you tell us about the recording we're listening to? The CD is actually not out yet. Um, so this is a bit of a sneak preview, which I'm happy that uh, for you to have. But it's a very interesting CD by uh, soprano Cherie Kaluda. And uh, it is all uh, female poets. Um, with uh, three different composers, and um, each composer played for uh, his or her um, uh, piece. In, in the case of my music, uh, there are two cycles, and they both are uh, Emily Dickinson cycles. So uh, it's, uh, it's actually a really um, uh, fun thing for me to have both of those uh, coming out on the same CD. I hope that it comes out quite soon. I hope so, too. Um... So of these two song cycles, we're focusing on the most recent one, A Slash of Blue, A Sweep of Gray. How did this set originate? It's interesting how this particular uh, song cycle came about. Um, I was selected uh, for a humanities seminar. Uh, the University of Hartford um, has a, a, a humanities seminar that um, tackles a different theme. And the theme in 2009-2010 was Framing War. And it was all sorts of ways of looking at the subject of war. Um, and uh, my project in the humanities seminar was to present, um, I wanted to present some music that I would write. Uh, I came across a very interesting element of Emily Dickinson's poetry. And so uh, my subject started to revolve around the Civil War, the American Civil War. Oh, okay. Well, that explains the title then, uh, obviously referring to the colors of the Union and Confederate armies. So how do these songs reflect that subject? In this particular set of songs, it's, um, I think it's less obvious that it's about war, but in a way the, the poems are less obvious that they're about war. Um, this is kind of an interesting subject about Emily Dickinson, which I wasn't aware of uh, until I did a little research, but her most prolific time of writing was during the period of the Civil War. And 
I don't think folks really think of her as a Civil War poet. And yet I discovered these poems that um, in, in sort of abstract ways, mostly, uh, do refer to uh, things that could easily be interpreted as con being connected to the American Civil War. And so how did you end up setting them? Um, I uh, write all sorts of things, uh, orchestra, chamber music, choral, everything imaginable. Um, but one thing that's been really constant in my uh, output is uh, writing for the solo voice, in particular writing art song. And um, I love poetry. I write poetry myself. And um, uh, I, I try to, to find the architecture of the poem that the poet is using. And I try to then depict um, the poem. You know, one really good example in this set is the fourth song, which is um, they dropped like flakes. They dropped like stars, like petals from a rose. And so um, that's a really good example of how I used the sound of the bells uh, in the piano. Very simple. Uh, the piano rings, it, the pedal stays down, and uh, you, the, the texture is set. The soprano paints on the texture of the piano. Um, and uh, I try to create the feeling of, of these flakes dropping, of these stars, stars dropping, which could in fact be uh, human beings dropping on a battlefield. So um, it's uh, very eerie music um, that goes along with this gorgeous poem. So what drew you to these seven poems in particular? Well, when I'm selecting uh, a text uh, to, to uh, use for an art song, uh, whether it's my own or somebody else's, I tend to read through many, many, many things. And I wait for the words to actually be musical, to, to speak to me in some kind of musical way. Um, for instance, with my own poetry, I've never actually started writing a song and then written the words. The words have already existed as a poem. And then um, I would write the music uh, as if someone else had written the poem. Um, in the case of Emily Dickinson, uh, it's so rich. I am, I am so in love with uh, her poetry. Um, I happen to live in northern Connecticut, uh, so I have uh, often gone up to Amherst uh, you can visit the, the home where she wrote and lived. Um, you can visit her grave site. Uh, and um, she's just a really um, strong presence in my life. Um, uh, 1,789 poems. I've said a handful of them, maybe, I don't know, 20 of them. So uh, the richness of, of, uh, of what she writes just appeals to me so much. So what was your actual compositional process? The, the compositional process, um, uh, I think, is, is pretty much um, inspired by a, a, a series of harmonies that get used uh, uh, in each song in a, in a slightly different way. You wouldn't hear, you wouldn't hear the, the uh, chords necessarily being the same, but uh, there's a strong triadic feeling to the to the uh, to the songs themselves 
And um, I'm always in search of what uh, someone once said to me. They used the term fresh note, and I can't remember who said it, so I can't even give them credit for it. And maybe I even thought it. I can't remember at this point. But um, I am always in my music in search of a fresh note. A fresh note to me is one that's unexpected, that takes the listener to some totally new place, that, that uh, changes the color, that changes the shade. And um, um, as, as my harmony unfolds, um, uh, that's a very conscious thing. Uh, technically, it might be uh, having a C natural in one chord, and in the next chord, a C sharp comes in, um, uh, which is very simplistic. But but it gives you the idea that there's something that's that's pleasantly jarring, uh, sometimes not so pleasantly jarring, but that sets us on a different course. I'll talk a little bit about the the sixth song, which is. Um, called uh, When I Was Small, A Woman Died. And um, the fragment that is used to build the piece has a syncopation. And the the right hand usually has the syncopation. It propels off a rest. So you have a sort of rest. Da, de, ta, ta, um. And uh, this comes back as a, as a motif over and over again and kind of uh, uh, being insistent. Um, and... Uh, I feel like it's really tied, tied to the, um, to the story of the poem, um, which says, "When I was small, a woman died. Today, her only boy went up from the Potomac. His face all victory." Um, and what you find out is that uh, that this boy um, probably died that day in battle. So this insistent little rhythmic motif helps to. Um, um, keep the music fresh in my mind. Break abroad 
In early song cycles, composers often used a key plan, connecting the songs as a, a way to contribute to the narrative. In your cycle, what kind of tonal system were you working in? I don't really think when I'm writing uh, about any kind of even key center. Uh, I tend to use my ears to guide me. I, um, don't, uh, I don't actually even like the concept of a, of a key because... There's a wonderful book my, by my teacher, Vincent Persichetti, um, which begins, every note can follow every other note, is the first phrase of, of the paragraph. And um, that really is how I have lived my life as a composer, is that I try to go from one note to the next in order to find um, um, the way for that particular um, song or movement or whatever it happens to be. So... Um, the idea of a, of a key is, is, uh, is something I'd never even ponder. In fact, I'm on a personal crusade to, uh, to rid the world of key signatures. Uh, I have to laugh because uh, I grew up in, um, you know, I, I was a student at Juilliard in the, in the 70s, and it was very much the modernist and the people who were a little bit romantic like I was. Uh, we eventually became the neo-romantics, but um, uh, it... it it was so interesting that uh, that no one would ever dream of using a key signature. And now, of course, I see um, many, many students come with uh, three flats in the key signature. And it, uh, it uh, to be honest, horrifies me. <laughs> and the reason that is, is that I don't like uh, the, the restriction. And um, the, the time at Juilliard was really important for me for many reasons. Uh, I also, in addition to the Juilliard experience, uh, took some time away from Juilliard, and I went and studied in France with Nadia Boulanger. But uh, at Juilliard at the time, you know, there were five teachers, Persichetti, David Diamond, Milton Babbitt, uh, Roger Sessions, and Elliot Carter. I mean, it's unbelievable, uh, the collection of people. And we had interaction with all of them. I was actually a teaching assistant for David Diamond and Persichetti. I was in Sessions class. Uh, I remember having some really nice talks with Elliot Carter one night at a at a restaurant on Broadway where we both were there and we sat and talked and he was just such a great, a great person. And Babbitt was uh, um, an incredible personality. So I feel very fortunate that um, I was there then. And then also with all the connections that I made with my colleagues, with my fellow students who, uh, who were there at the same time. But it was an interesting time because modernism was uh, so strong and um, um, there were a couple of us who had these these romantic uh, um, style traits, um, and uh, sometimes it was a little bit brutal. Um, I can remember instances where that was absolutely the case. But it is funny how some people who were maybe perhaps more modernist are now more traditional, and some who were more traditional have, have developed that way. I mean, everybody develops in their own way, and... Uh, uh, I think that's one of the great things about about um, the world of composition. Absolutely. Well, back to the recording. At the time you wrote this cycle, 
Did you know the vocalist, Cherie Kaluda, or that she would be performing it? Uh, Cherie Kaluda is a colleague of mine at the Hart School. I'm a professor of composition there, and she's uh, one of the members of the voice faculty. And um, uh, I asked her if she would be a part of this uh, humanities seminar that, that spawned the, the cycle. Um, and then she also has sung some of my other music. So that's been a wonderful collaboration, I'm, and I'm so grateful to her. Um, when I was writing this cycle, uh, A Slash of Blue, A Sweep of Gray, I absolutely had her voice in mind. And uh, that's a very interesting thing because I have worked with many singers um, and I've actually, uh, if I'm writing for a particular singer, I've asked them what their strengths and, and weaknesses are. Is there a note that they really think they like to sing that sounds good in their voice? Is there a note that I should avoid? So, uh, yeah, those are, those are fun things and you kind of personalize uh, the music. I do that with instrumentalists as well. I remember one piece I wrote uh, uh, very involved discussions with the the soloist about uh, about the instrument, how they play it, how they perceive it. So, um, yeah, I mean, those stories, you know, from history are still happening uh, these days where we're sitting with uh, performers and they're they're teaching us and we're writing to their strengths. So it's a great thing. Yeah, that's so cool. Now, I know that you also do a lot of wonderful things as an arts administrator. How did you get involved in that? Well, I've, I've been very fortunate in my life uh, in that I have done many, many different things. Um, very early on, um, literally when I was 17 years old and my first fall uh, as a student at Juilliard, um, I uh, remember very specifically a concert where for the first time in my life, I heard the Rite of Spring and um, live uh, in Alice Tully Hall. And um, I saw sitting together Peter Menon, William Schumann, and Vincent Persichetti. And at that concert, I not only kind of de dedicated myself to, uh, to my life as a musician, but I said, someday I'm going to run a music school. So um, it was something very early on, which I eventually um, did have the honor of doing a couple of times. Um, but it's led me to be involved in, in uh, many different aspects of, of uh, the performing arts, uh, including uh, now I'm the artistic and executive director of a music festival in Virginia. I also have a, a festival in Italy um, each summer. Um, I'm involved uh, as music director of a dance company in Washington, D.C. So um, uh, I guess uh, uh, I stay out of trouble by um, keeping busy. Um, but it's just in my nature to to be involved and creating things and making things happen. And it's, uh, it's been uh, every bit as important in my life as uh, as my music. So it's a it's a part of me. Wow. And how did you get involved with composing to begin with? I was sometimes trying to think uh, when I first thought I was a composer. I had a wonderful piano teacher as a little kid and uh, she had me write an opera that was a uh, one page on green paper. And I thought it was really cool. And I was about seven or eight. So, I mean, the idea of, of writing, uh, was something that I did from an early age. And, um, all of my teachers had encouraged me to write. Um, from the time I was about 11, I was conducting choirs and playing the organ in church and arranging hymns. And, um, so I had really instant feedback. I would write something, I'd play it, 
and people would say either that was interesting or horrible or whatever they would say. Um, so as far as I can remember, you know, I was playing and conducting and writing music and, um, um, uh, I, I can't say there was ever a moment when I decided I actually went to Juilliard initially as an organ major. Um, very quickly, um, I had a, a theory teacher, wonderful theory teacher who's, who said, you know, do you write music? Cause this isn't your normal theory assignment. And I said, well, sure I do. And he said, well, let me look. And he helped, he helped me a lot as well. But, um, uh, you know, it's just something I, I did. And then, um, it got more and stronger and stronger. And my uh, undergraduate ended up being a double major organ and composition. And then I gave up the organ. I haven't really played it since I was in my early twenties and I've been writing music, um, ever since my, my master's and doctorate were in composition. And, and if you asked me what I, uh, what I do, I'd say I'm a composer. Um, and then probably I'd say conductor, then I'd probably say pianist after that. But, uh, um, big gap between each of those. Cause I think of myself first and foremost as a composer. Well, as a pianist, what is it like performing your own compositions? I like performing my music. I, I don't have to be the one doing it. Um, in the case of the recording with Cherie, um, I, I loved playing the piano and, and being a part of, of the recording process. Um, I, um, I think it's fun to, to play, and, and I, every opportunity I have to do it, I, I, I say yes. Uh, but I also like to have other people um, involved with, with the music. And you know what's funny? I didn't tell you about this in this piece, but um, I had an idea that this music would work um, if, it, if the words were not there, which is very strange for me because the words are so important to me, and they are really important to this piece. But I did a version of this piece for alto saxophone and piano, and I call the work, uh, it's five of the seven poems that are actually uh, in, in the, the piece. I call it poetry. And uh, uh, it's amazing to me how it worked, considering how much I love words and how important they are, um, to take something that had these incredible Dickinson words and then make it an instrumental piece was, uh, was a wonderful experiment for me. Oh, well, it'd be great to hear that too. Thank you so much. It's been wonderful talking to you. Sure. That was fun. I enjoyed it. about Larry Allen Smith, visit georgemarshall.net slash contempora. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash contempora podcast. You can visit either of these sites for other episodes and special content. And don't forget to subscribe to Contempora in the iTunes store. Thanks for listening. This is Contempora, and I'm George Marshall. George Marshall.